in the prophetic sense is it means something that's heavy, something that's weighty, something that's deep. Everybody say heavy revy. You see, way back then, they were dropping heavy revies, and they were taking it serious. Let's take it serious. Verse 2, he says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife. Conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. I don't know about you, but I think he just told me what 21st century America looks like. You get it? I hope you got it. It's not difficult English, is it? Did you hear what the prophet just said? He's saying, God gave me a prophecy, but as he's starting to get into his prophecy, he's going to give you his complaint. Most of the time, God is speaking to us in the midst of our hardships, in the midst of our complaints. And if you've ever had a complaint, you'll fit right in with the prophets. The prophets got a whole lot complaints. Did you know that the Bible considers David a prophet? That's why he's got a lot of complaints in his Psalms. It doesn't mean that they were complainers. It doesn't mean that they were negative Nellies. It doesn't mean that they were always pessimists, looking at things negatively. No, what it means is, is that they were being honest with what was going on in their heart and what was going on in their culture. And he starts off talking to the people of his day and talks about how they're so wicked, they're so violent, they don't even care. And as a matter of fact, the wicked are winning and the righteous are losing. Do you see that today? Do you see that going on in our culture? Let's be honest. Let's just be honest. Does it look like today, let's just start with politics. Does it look like today righteousness is winning in politics? Does it look like right now in the media, Right now, all of the talk shows, all of the songs that are on the top 10, does it look like they're talking about the things of God? Let me ask you something. Even on your job or in your industry, does it look like the most successful people are the ones that are the most godly? Almost makes you want to laugh, right? Like when you think of the most successful people, that have the most money, the top 20 richest people, does the thought instantly come to your mind, man, those are the most godly, righteous people I know. Hello, somebody. What's he crying out violence for? The people of Israel so violent, they were sacrificing their own children to false gods. They were sacrificing their children to false gods to ask for blessings on their land. Have you ever heard of abortion? Do you know what the number one reason for abortion is? So that the woman can keep being successful in life. Child sacrifice still lives today. And he is crying out to God. He's, he's not taking this lightly. He is crying out to God violence. But it wasn't just the violence to their own children. They were violent to each other. Do you know that back in these days they had gangs? Listen to Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. You might find yourself there, or at least Cousin Flacco's there. 
Because how did the dude get beat up and robbed to begin with? How did he ever get beat up? Did you ever think about that? Why was there a need for a good Samaritan to go there and to help him and to save him? It's because Cousin Flacco and his boys on the block beat him up, took his money. And now get this, in this time, the police are also corrupt. But y'all in Chicago wouldn't know of anything about corrupt police, would you? We just had a police officer get indicted, and I take the side of the police officers 99% of the time. I, that's just my way of being brought up, so hear me on this. But I agree, you unload the entire magazine on an unarmed person. That's violence. That's violence in my opinion. I support our police, but we've got to do better. That's murder. You just, come on now. I've been taking training just a little bit in firearms, and you know you don't do that. And we know that we've seen corruption. But somebody might say, well, I got an answer to all the violence. We should just get rid of the police. We should police ourselves. That's what a lot of the Black Lives Matter movement says. We don't need them. F the police. We'll take care of it. Well, hold on. Why are the police there to begin with? And why do they keep getting called to those neighborhoods? Are you listening? So it's not just the corruption is in the gangs. It's also in the government and those who are supposed to be protecting. And it's not just in those people's lives that have authority and power. It's also in the kid who kicks the other kid to get his candy to take his shoes. And it's not even just there on that level of violence. Have you ever thought about how deep violence runs in our culture to the shows we watch and to the things that we want to see now? Now, this may step on some of your toes, but I don't care because I want to talk about Jesus today feelings, amen? I would rather you be offended in your feelings and your heart be changed than you just come here and hear something that's easy on the ears. But I was watching shows like The Walking Dead, right? I'm just going to watch it because everybody else is watching it. I was so disturbed by the amount of blood and violence that I couldn't even watch it anymore. And some of y'all don't even have a problem with it. My question is to you, how can you be so numb to watching cannibalism on these shows, to watching blood being spilled? Even though the person in the show is supposed to be a zombie, they're still made in the image of God, right? You shouldn't watch the image of God get beat with a bat and take joy in that. If you walk, one amen, come on. You're my amen corner, come on. If, if you just watched one show, counted the amount of bloodshed you would see, how many times do you think you would see it just in one show like Walking Dead? And don't even get me started on Game of Thrones, which I can't even watch unless I get an edited version. You see, not only has violence permeated those out there, but violence is permeating our hearts in here. And then my last example of how we can relate to this, think about how we treat each other in traffic. I know I admit it, but I and that's crazy as us. <laughs> and the problem is you go to places like Florida, we think, man, these people can't drive. Well, maybe the problem is us. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe the problem is us who, who wants to go 50 miles an hour down Long Avenue through neighborhoods and chump speed bumps like we're on the Dukes of Hazard. 
Maybe, maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's really not out there. Maybe it's in here. And then the Bible says, not only did they have violence, they had injustice. And of course, I could list off all the injustices. Women want to say that they're being unfairly. And there's a lot of truth to that, right? The Me Too movement. And I call it out in the church. I hope that you're proud of me for calling it out in the church. There's big name pastors that want to cover it up. And that's where I feel my call is at is to make sure that in the church, nobody gets away with taking advantage of their position to women and acting like now as a pastor, they can now date the flock. That's what I call to me. But you see people talking about the injustice of then the immigration issue, and then people talking about the injustice of what's going on in our court systems. But when I talk to people, sometimes I get a little bit confused on what they're considering is justice and injustice. So the women's march says they want justice. They want to march in our city, don't they? They did a lot of marches a while back. But then I look at their manifesto, and they also want pro-abortion. Do you know that in the Chinese culture, the greatest injustice towards women is done in the abortion clinic because they would rather have a man than a woman? They do genocidal acts towards women in the womb to the tens of millions, and yet I don't see any woman marching about that. I don't see any Me Too movement. Me Too! Invasion China! Me Too! And yet I'll see Muslim women like Linda Sassor leading up the charge in America, and I see this is even popular now. A lot of different women that are Muslim are leading this charge when literally 2018 was the first time women in Saudi Arabia since they come to America and try to get the speck out of our eye when there's this huge Sharia law plank in their eye. Just sounds like hypocrisy to me. Oh, and then Jimmy Kimmel wants to cry about health care, and then people want us to feel sorry for the immigration. What's I'm telling you? We need health care, and we need to take care of immigration. Yet when we have people call up these agencies, and you can see them online, they're quite funny, and say, okay, well, how many of the immigrants will you bring into your house? <laughs> you see them change their song. One man took the opportunity to call about four churches that all were marching for the immigration, bringing them all in, bringing them all in. And they said, hey, you're for the immigration. You want them all to come in. How many will your church take and house right now? How many will you bring in? We've got them right now. They said, oh, no, no, we, we work with other programs. No, those programs told us to call you. So what are you going to Oh, I, I can't speak, you know, person on the phone. I can't speak for the church. I'm just here answering the phone. Oh, that's okay. How many can you personally bring in? We'll, we'll, we'll bring in two immigrant families just to your house. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. It seems to be really easy to jump on a bandwagon to say you care about these things, but then when it's time to do it, it's a whole nother story. You say, Pastor, what are the solutions? Well, we'll be here for five hours. We're going to talk about the solutions. I'm just asking you, can you relate to the prophet? I'm just asking you a question. Can you relate to these words? God, I cry out violence. 
Cry out violence for abortion. I cry out violence for what's going on in our inner city. I cry out violence for what's going on in the traffic. God, I cry out violence for what's going on in the media. But you don't save. Little Wayne keeps making music. These rappers, they get famous, they leave their bad neighborhoods and keep talking about bad things while they're sending their children to private schools. Come on, somebody. And then, and then everybody's going to cry out injustice, but when it's time to bring forth the justice, where are the justice warriors? After the march is over, and now the biggest issue in the African-American community isn't the police officer who, if you've taken all the wrongful deaths, and I'll be there with you. Let's go through every wrongful death. Okay, let's say this year there was 100 wrongful deaths. What about the 5,000? Murderers, black-on-black crimes. Father, are you going to be there for your children? Mother, are you going to be there for your children? See, we cry out these things, and we, a lot of times what we're doing is we're blaming it on God. This is the point I want to get to, is they're out there living this wicked life, and Habakkuk is complaining, and he's saying, I can see that it's evil, I can see that it's a problem, and God you're not saving when God's in the background going I've already done everything to save I've already done everything what did he do when he sent prophets he gave them instruction but they weren't listening what did he do when he would send the power of the Holy Spirit upon those men of God miracles but they weren't receiving them these were the same people that were brought out of Egypt through the way of the Red Sea miraculous times in the desert eating of manna and now they want to do on their own and then when it doesn't work they want to point back and blame it to God Sounds just like us. Oh, God, we've been Christians before, but that hasn't worked, so now we're going to do it our own way. And if it doesn't work our own way, we're going to go look back at you and blame you for it. But you see, I thank God that he's got an answer. Let's go to verse 5. See, the Lord answers this complaint. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not the answer Habakkuk is wanting. Let's see here. Come on, somebody say you might get what you need, but not what you want. <laughs> Come on, say it again. You might just get what you need, but not what you want. Look at verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if it were told you. Now listen to this. This is why I don't like taking passages out of Scripture, uh, out of context, just out the Scripture, because you look at that verse that you want to put that right now on your refrigerator. That's an awesome verse. Look, watch. God's going to do something that you won't even believe. It is going to be that awesome. Man, it's going to be great. Can I just give you a little head start here to what he's actually saying I'm going to do that you won't believe? I'm going to send a nation more wicked than yours to destroy your nation. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send bigger bully to beat up your bully. How did Daniel ever get in Babylon? Did you ever ask yourself that question? No, Daniel in the lion's den, right? But do you know how he got there? It's because the people of Israel were so wicked, God sent the Babylonians to capture them and bring their children this age. This is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's about how old they were when they were taken to Babylon away from their family. He says, look, I'm going to show you something right now in a vision. 
man, I'm going to give you a taste of this, and the people won't even believe you. I am rising up or raising up the Babylonians. Woo, it got serious right there, didn't it? I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. They don't care about anything. Who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They're going to take everything from you. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and their own honor. Now look at how he describes their, their equipment that they're going to use to beat up the Jewish people with. God is literally scaring the hell out of Habakkuk right now. He's like, I'm going to tell you how ruthless these people are. Now in our day, you got to understand, this may not sound like a lot, but imagine this is, you know, you're living at this time. Their horses are swifter than leopards, so they're fast. You can't outrun them. Fiercer than wolves at dusk. Anybody ever watched Lord of the Rings before? Have anybody ever seen that? That's a good example of the orcs coming with their mighty forces. That's how he's drawing out the picture here. So that all the little boys and girls can understand, you're about ready to watch your daddy die, and you're going to be taken to slavery. You say, Pastor, that's wicked. That's harsh. Why in the world would God do such a thing? Let's watch. Look at them. They're ruthless. Look at how fast their horses are. Their, wolves are their horses are fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners. They're taking you. They're taking you. They're going to gather prisoners like sand. Just take nations as sand. They mock kings. You see their, your president? They're going to mock him. They're going to bust his legs down and make him lick the dirt in front of him. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. They literally would come to the, to, the, to the big city walls, and Jerusalem had huge city walls, and they would just take their time and put dirt upon dirt so they could just walk up there and slaughter the whole people. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty people whose own strength is their God. Now, how many know if, if Habakkuk had a complaint before, He's about, have, about ready to have a real big complaint with God now. His first complaint was, God, the Jewish people, they are all backslidden. They are all wicked. I can't believe how they live. They are so evil. They take advantage of us. There is no justice. God, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to send the Babylonians who are going to scare the hell out of you, kill most of you, and take the rest of your children as captives. Let's see what Habakkuk says now. Lord... Are you not from everlasting? He's going to start. Well, we would say kissing up, but to God, it's actually worship, isn't it? Because right now, he just understands this is beyond him. We'll get to the reason why in just a moment, but let's hear what Habakkuk says. He says, Lord, you're from everlasting. That means you see the beginning from the end. It's like you're the Alpha and Omega. I can trust you because there may be a part of this story I don't like, but at the end, I know it's going to work out. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Can I get your attention real quick? Can I just ask you a question? 
Have you ever considered that the problems we're facing right now is God's punishment? Have you ever just stopped and just rewound the tape and thought about how we actually got here? Can you go back with me to the 1960s where we complained about children chewing gum in school and growing their hair a little long and talking in class? That was the major issue, and we thought that was bad, but we thought at that time in America, God, we don't need you. We'll take care of the long hair. We'll take care of the talking back and chewing gum, so we don't want to pray in our schools anymore. Has anybody gone back 50 years? and thought that maybe what we're facing now, the more wicked thing, though we're not invaded by an army, but the more wicked thing we're facing now compared to the 50s and the 60s is actually our own punishment. That the reason it went from, come on, baby, let's do the twist, to drop it like it's hot to the most perverted things is possibly a reason that, the, that it went from, Checker to all of this vile stuff that Cardi B and the rest of them sing about is because somewhere in here we left God and God says, it's my world, it's my way, and I'm going to show you now what it looks like when you don't do it that way, the right way. Yeah, way back when, and people say, well, what about segregation and all those things? I'm not saying America was perfect, but today you can talk to Africa who walked in the civil rights marches, who were there, you know, arm in arm with Martin Luther King. One of them came and spoke at our political discussion that we had. Thomas Gross's father was, he was a young child. He's now in his 60s. Listen, they will all tell you that every one of those civil rights leaders are ashamed of what this generation has done now with its freedom. In that community, but look at the Latin American community. I know people are rushing our borders because their country is violent and wicked. Do you know, Latinos, that you are now leading in arrests, in abortions, in premarital sex and drug use? What happened to those values that you had in Nayari, Chilapa, where I went and visited with one of my Latino heads? What happened to those values? Well, when a girl gets pregnant, you get married. You shouldn't have been doing that, but if it happens, you get married. You don't go to the abortion clinic. You see, maybe today all God has done is just lifted off his hand of protection. You see, why weren't the Babylonians able to do that before? Why was little old Israel protected before? It, it's not like their army was that big and that powerful. Israel was always a smaller country. But why is it now they're going to get invaded by Babylon? It's because God is saying, you've told me so many times you don't want me. I'm going to give you a taste of what not having me is like. It's just like my mom said, well, you've been telling me over and over again, you want to run away, Joe. You want to run away when I was a troubled teenager. And then at my 18th birthday, she says, here's the keys to your car. It's your birthday gift and gas money. Goodbye. Because from 16 to 18, I made her life a living hell. And she had to kick me out and bring me back in because the state would make her take me back in. And then she would kick me out and, and she would take me back in. And then at 18 years old, she said, finally. I get to give you what you've been asking this whole time. You get to live outside of my house. Go. And my mother doing that was the most loving thing I could ever have. You know why? 
because I knew what it was like now to sleep at my friend's house, not for a week when the party was fun, but for two months. And when the food runs out and you have no money and you can't even wash your clothes and your clothes stink, and then he gets into a fight with his girlfriend, you got to go somewhere else and sleep in your car in a park. See, that's what my life turned into real quick. See, I'm actually glad that at times God lets wicked things happen to righteous people or at least people who should know better because then they start to learn a lesson. So it's not that Daniel was a bad person or Daniel, and I'm using this family as an example. I love the Pachecos right here. But it's not that Daniel's father's going to die and Daniel's going to go to captivity just because he did all the wicked stuff. No, God is going to judge an entire nation. And sometimes... I. To the Christians here, especially those of you who really love Jesus, sometimes we have to go into captivity and suffer the judgment of a nation because the nation needs to learn a lesson. So just like when people look back at the days of slavery, they go, where were the Christians? Where were the Christians? I say, to figure it out because you can read our sermons and see where you are there because just, just see us now. Christians are shouting out, we hate abortion. We hate abortion. But it's still happening. Do you understand? And so in one sense, God, I believe, is saying it like this. There's not enough of you to stop the judgment, but there's enough of you to teach during the judgment the lesson that's being done. So there's not enough of you to stop the judgment. The judgment is going to come, Habakkuk. It is coming, and it's going to come with these fierce warriors. But here's the deal. You're going to be there. And you're going to tell them what's going on. That's what Daniel did. That's what Jeremiah did. That's what Ezekiel did. How many want to be prophets to this generation, even in the midst of judgment? Amen. Somebody say, in wrath, remember mercy. So now listen to Habakkuk. He says, Lord, you're from everlasting to everlasting. He says, I know that you have done this to execute judgment. My rock, you've ordained in the punishment. Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So God, I know you're not cool with it. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? I know, I know it's going to happen, but why? Look, in verse 14, you have made people like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The the wicked foe pulls them all out by the hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch. Somebody say, I will stand at my watch. And station myself on the ramparts. Come on, say, I will station myself on the ramparts. And say, I will look to see what God will say to me, how he will answer this complaint. So now it's a fair question, isn't it? God, how long are you going to judge him? Because God, how much can we take of this? How long are you going to let people continue to suffer? How long? How long are you going to allow our children to die to violence how long are you going to allow our media to be fixated with perversion? How long are you going to allow our politicians to keep using us and abusing us? Now God answers him. Second answer to that complaint. Look at verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will 
certainly come and not delay. God says, I got you. I know what the end looks like, and I promise you what I'm about ready to tell you will come to pass. Can I forward and tell you what he's going to tell them? Can I do that? He's going to beat them up. He's going to destroy them. And what's going to happen at the end? Israel will never worship the gods of those nations again. You see, what actually turned them towards being so violent was the very thing he said, I'm going to give you so much of it makes you puke. In other words, why were they sacrificing their children? For good luck and all of those things. Pagans taught them that. Why were they doing injustice? Because they were no longer following the Bible. They were trying to be like the pagans. Why was all of the violence and things taking place among their children? Because the children weren't obeying the commands. And so God says, I'm going to send to you people even worse than you so you can see what it looks like, and then you'll hate it so much you'll never go back to it, and then I'll punish those who punished you. Woo, isn't that deep? Hello, get it now. How does that relate to us? It's real simple. God is asking you right now to believe the revelation that there is hope for us in this generation, that we can be a part of that change, and that God will change us. That God will change us. You can be a part of it, and you can see it. Is the end-time judgment coming? Yes, but before that end-time judgment, I believe we're going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like America has never seen. I don't believe the greatest days of revival are past. I believe that we can hope and believe that revival like we've never seen is coming. That we can see a movement, not just of one, twos, and threes, but of thousands of gang members coming to Jesus. Tens of thousands from the LGBTQ community. Politicians once again bowing their knees before Jesus and really upholding the Bible on which they swear upon. I believe before we leave this planet, God's going to do a great move of God with signs and wonders. The Lord says, you better write it down and don't you forget it. And I can promise you this, it happened. You read the Old Testament, God kept his word to those Jewish people. After 70 years of captivity, they came back to the land. They were never idol worshipers again and still to the Hey, Jewish people are not idol worshipers. They don't sacrifice their children. And from that lineage came the Messiah, the greatest answer of prophecy. That's why John the Baptist was talking about preparing the way. And through Jesus now, all of those nations are coming to Jesus. It, what is modern-day Babylon is Iraq. Iraqis are coming to Jesus. All in Persia, where the Persians were at in Iran, they're coming to Jesus. They Right now, one of the fastest growing church movements is in Iran, where the Persians were, because the Persians are the ones who destroyed the Babylonians. Write it down, because it's coming. Look at verse 4. See, the enemy is puffed up. So this, see, this, this Babylonian people, they're not going to get it. Their desires are not upright, but the righteous person lives by faithfulness. Or as Paul said in other places in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11, the just shall live by faith. So don't be people be like the righteous from the very beginning the righteous live by faith be like them indeed wine betrays them they are arrogant never at rest they are greedy as the grave like death is never satisfied he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives of all the people Will not all of the taunt will not all of them taunt him and ridicule him and scorn him, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. 
He's saying what they have stolen, they're going to have to give back. How long will this go on? Will not the creditors arise? So you were just borrowing it, really. You couldn't get to keep these nations. Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Now he's saying to Babylon, will not these nations make you tremble? Then you will become their prey because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. God is literally saying to these I'm going to judge you, and now it's going to be your turn to be afraid. And I think it's about time we start saying to this culture, you better be afraid of the judgment of God. Because you think right now you're getting away with it because you're the toughest kid on your block, but God's going to judge you one day. You, you think you're going to get away with it, politician, because you've made all of these, this money off your corruption, but you're going to give an account to our God one day. That's what he's saying. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, said on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted to ruin many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the walls cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who the city with bloodshed establishes a town by injustice. That's why all the places in America had to repent or have to repent if they haven't of establishing any town of bloodshed from the Indian to the slavery in this country. We have to repent because there's no nation that can survive building its nation on bloodshed. And then that is true right now for the present. If there are people building their wealth off of this violence and injustice, the Bible says, woe unto you. Somebody say, woe. Come on, that's what the Bible says. Verse 13, has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? Do you know that the wages of sin is death? And the Bible says, without God, all that you're doing right now is just becoming more fire for your punishment. The nations exhaust themselves for nothing. It says, for the earth will be filled. Look at this. Come on, look at verse 14. I love these heavy revies, these nuggies tucked right in there. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's being told. This is about 500, 600 years before Jesus is ever born. 2,600 years ago, he is prophesying stuff that we're still seeing come to pass today, that the glory of the Lord will start flowing from Jerusalem again, and then from Jerusalem, as we know, the Messiah, and then the disciples, and then even to the end of days, the glory will keep spreading like a flood covering the land. That's why we can look back at this. That's why we're reading this whole book today, because we should be encouraged by thus says the Lord, God is still with with his people. And so if we're here today experiencing similar judgments like they did, we should experience the similar outpourings that they did and that they were hoping for. How many know the glory of the Lord is covering right now? Come on, somebody. It says the knowledge of God will cover the earth, his glory. And see, the knowledge and the glory of God are so tied together that I wish I had extra time to talk about, but we went through that in Ephesians. Then look at what he says. He says, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. How many know they were crazy back then? I'm going to get my neighbor drunk so I can see him naked. Okay. Verse 16, you will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let nakedness, let your nakedness be exposed. So think about it. It's like Jimmy Kimmel or Oprah Winfrey. You've done all this to other people. Now it's going to be done to you. All the lies that you've told, all the taking from people on behalf of your wickedness, now it's going to be taken from you. All the corrupt politicians, now you're going to be the one without anything. 
It says here, now, now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you've done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. Your destruction of animals will terrify you, so he even cares about the animals. God said you'll get punished for how you've been treating them because they were just exterminating all of these animals. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Now watch this. Look at this. Get this in closing. Come on. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? Let's put this in our day. You is Steve Harvey teaching about marriages if he's had it three times and the one he has now is the one he cheated on the second one with. What, what good is it, Bill Gates, for you to have all this money yet say you don't go to church on Sunday because you're too busy? What value are all these idols they make? The images that teach lies. What value is Oprah teaching lies? What is her number one audience? Women? That are, same thing with now Ellen. Ellen has her same audience. You look at the audience of Ellen. What is it? Mostly married women with children, which she is not. They have no idea how to identify with a normal, healthy family, yet all these people are coming to them for their outlet to be given these free things. And the Bible says it's just lies. For the one who makes it trust, for the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. And guess who are the ones making these people our idols? We are. We're make, We're saying, Ellen, be our idol. Oprah, be our idol. Uh, uh, you know, Donald Trump, please be our idol. And then we get upset when they can't do what's right for us. It says, woe to him who says to the wood, come to life, or to the lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is, is in his holy temple. Now watch this. Let all the earth be silent before him. Vinny, would you come up here, please? How many know the Lord got an answer to that complaint that Habakkuk had? So let's just review. Two complaints by Habakkuk, two answers by the Lord. The first complaint of Habakkuk is really simple. God, I live in a wicked place. Nobody's listening to you. What's going on? God says, I'm going to send a nation to destroy them. And then that nation is going to take many of you captive. Now Habakkuk's got a real bigger complaint. He's like, God, I know you can't even look at evil, and we deserve the punishment. So how long are you going to let this happen? And God says, I'm going to let it happen until my judgment is over, and then I'm going to judge. And now I want you. Listen to what God literally says. And now I want you to Be quiet and be silent before me and to listen to what I just told you before. So we are supposed to, as the people listening to the prophet, are supposed to go back in our hearts right now and we're supposed to see, have we contributed to any of the violence? Have we contributed to any of the, of the injustice? Have we been a part of the problem? We're supposed to make it right and then we're supposed to look at ourselves and say, have I neglected what God wants? Forgive me, Jesus. Would you do that right now? Come on, just close your eyes. Have you been a part of the problem? And maybe violence isn't your thing. Perversion is addressed in Ezekiel, which is at the same time. So don't just say, well, man, you know what? I'm kind of easy going. No, look at your heart and see, are you a part of the solution that God has or have you been a part of the problem? Because all of us in some way have contributed to it. And the question is now whether or not we've repented and turned from those wicked ways. Some of you remember that famous prayer that Solomon prayed in Chronicles. 
That was at the dedication of the temple when Israel was becoming the great nation that it was at, the, at its height. He put in a prayer there. He said, God, if we ever turn away from you, Lord, let us humble ourselves, repent of our sins, and turn back towards this place and believe that you'll hear, heal our land. You'll hear our prayer and heal our land. Is there anybody here that needs to turn back towards God? Take a few moments and do that right now. Lord, we're before you. We're not going to make any excuses. We ask you to change us. Because right now I feel like we're in the middle of your judgment, God. And if we try to deny it, it's only going to make it worse. If we try to change your scriptures and change your law, like so many of my friends are doing now, oh, the Bible doesn't mean that. It does, you know, we're taught that, but it doesn't mean that. It's only going to prolong it and make it worse. Lord, help us to see what we need to do in this situation. And if you're not born again, you're not saved by your works, the Bible says. You're saved by the work of Jesus. Just ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Say, Lord, I heard a lot today, and I ask you to change me and to rearrange me and make me who you want me to be so that I can obey what I've been hearing. Because really, what comes first? A child doing good things or a child being born first? The child has to be born first to do good things. What comes first in Christianity? You doing a bunch of these good things we're talking about or you being born again first? It's being born again. That's why you have to come to Jesus first and say, I know I've messed it up. Now come into my heart, change me, Lord. Be the Lord of my life and lead me in this path. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. We'll have prayer workers up here in just a moment. Now what does Habakkuk do at the last chapter here? He writes a prayer song. He writes a prayer song. I love this about the Bible. Nothing new under the sun, my friends. The same thing that you probably feel you want to do right now, which is just lift up your voice and call out to Jesus. That's exactly what he does. He lifts up his voice, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet on Shiginath which is a term we don't quite understand, but I just think it means a prophetic song because at the very end it says, this is for the director of music on my stringed instruments. We'll get to that. But he starts off and he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. He, he sees God now as the one that's over the beginning and the end. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And here it is, friends. Are you ready? In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, God. In wrath, God. Remember mercy. Right now, Lord, while they're slaughtering children in abortion clinics, while people are crossing over from Indiana to do it here in Chicago because we let them do it at a later term. In your wrath, God, over the gangs that are killing people this weekend, setting new records, while our politicians are corrupt, oh God. In your wrath, remember mercy. Because I've heard about you, God. See, Habakkuk wasn't the generation of Moses, those people who got delivered out of Israel. But they knew it, and some of them had forgot it. And now here he's saying, man, I haven't forgot it, God. I remember these stories, and I live by faith in you. So I believe they're true. I believe you will come and rescue us in wrath. Remember mercy. And now he just goes straight poetic. Most common. 
dictators can't follow the flow. So I ask you to go back home and pray over and see how you see it. But he goes, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Our best guess is this is what happened when Moses was given the glory of God in the desert. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. You see, instead of him cowering and saying, man, I don't want to live for God, then if it's going to be this crazy, if children are going into captivity, I just give up. No, he turns and he starts praising God and he says, oh, your glory and your praise filled the earth. Your splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from your hands. Your power was hidden. Plague went before you. Pestilence followed your steps. You stood and shook the earth. You looked and made the nations tremble. You make the nations tremble, God. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. The best we have of understanding this is this was Moses' wife. So he's just looking to the deliverance, and he's saying, God, even in that time, you brought Moses' wife near, and that was a representation of bringing the Gentiles near. And even now we're seeing Gentiles come into the Lord, which is non-Jewish people. So God has seen not only the Jewish anguish, but he's seen the anguish of the whole world. Were you angry with the, the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did did you rage against the sea when you rode on horses and your chariots to victory? It's like, God, were you mad at the Red Sea when you parted it and did what you did? No. It's like you were giving us victory. Look at verse 9. You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. And I see that like symbolically when God flooded the earth in Noah's time as to us now being split with the rivers of God flowing through us because he said rivers will flow from your mighty being, from inside your being. And so I believe the mighty rivers of God are splitting the earth in us, hitting the flesh in us, and then going to the world around us. The mountains saw you and writhered. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Now watch this, he talks about Joshua's battle. When the sun and moon stood still, sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flaming arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth, and in anger, you threshed the nations. And I think that's not only the times he judged Egypt and the other ones, but how we're looking now towards the future, that God is going to trample on them as he comes with his horses. You trampled the sea with your horses. Isn't that what Jesus is coming back on a white horse with his, with his sons and daughters with him? Turning the great waters, I heard, watch, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones because he started to realize this is apocalyptic. This is probably the end of the world. And my legs started to tremble. Yet watch this. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So God, I've, I've gotten scared. My legs have even trembled. But I know what you did for Israel in the past during Moses' day with the Egyptians and all of those other nations and how you, how you punish them. You're going to punish these guys who punish us. Now look at verse 17. And here what is probably the most beautiful prophetic language you will ever hear in the time of judgment. He now just you can to see him throwing up his hands, singing out this song. Though the he does not bow. And though there are no grapes on the vine, 
Though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, and though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior, though everything literally goes away, God. I will rejoice in you because you never go away. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on. Come on, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Would you right now just raise up your hands and say, Jesus, I love you. Come on, now say it in your own words a few hundred times before you go. We love you today, Jesus. Band and altar workers, would you come quickly in closing? Oh, we love you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you. Though we are in the midst of judgment today, we will not lose hope. Our hope is in you. If you are sick today and you need healing in your body, come right now. We're going to start to pray for people who are sick. If you have been demonized or you have been affected by evil spirits or things that have haunted you at night or addictions that you believe are too strong to break, come up now. We're going to pray deliverance. If you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, and you haven't received the heavenly language, come up right now. We'll pray for you. I want to have some of you experience God in new ways right now. Healing, deliverance, or baptism in the Spirit. Come up right now. Come up right now. Come up. Jesus is here. Be healed in Jesus' name of sickness and illness. I want to be very clear with you today. God is still a healer. Be free from demonic attack. God is still a deliverer. And if you have not received the power of the Holy Spirit, receive now the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As they are praying, I'm going to ask that Desi and Vinny would begin to sing out a part of that scripture we had just read. Because then we're going to start interceding before we leave this place today like Habakkuk. Have your way in this place, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. In wrath, remember mercy. Jesus. We thank you today, God. Now, if you want to stand in the gap for this city or nation, just raise up your hands and call out the injustices. Call out the areas you want to see God change before you go. Because we're praying and believing that in wrath, God will remember mercy. There are people here getting set free and healed. But we must continue to pray and preach until the nation's here, until the nations are filled with the glory of God. 
If you just gave your heart to Jesus in this place, come on up here today. Feel free to bring a friend with you if you want. We want to pray for you before we go. You can start your journey with God today. November 5th, 1995, I gave my heart to Jesus and I've never been the same. One more time, in wrath, remember mercy as we're interceding today. In wrath, God, remember your mercy. Thank you, God. You are able. You are able, God. Heal, deliver, fill, God. Set free and change this city. Remember mercy, God. Remember your mercy, oh God. Only you can do that.